Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Before we get into things today, can we talk about what we just came from doing? (laughs) We can, yes. Okay, so we, (laughs) we we just had what, how did I describe it? coming so, <laughs> as, as, we left. as we left the house you said that is one of the that was one of the loveliest afternoons i've ever had in my life yeah so your longtime friend garrett um from high school mm-hmm. his you had like a really tight relationship with him near the end of high school and a couple years after high school yeah, yeah. and we talked about him before in the podcast as well mm-hmm. But you've also you also had a really nice relationship with his parents. Yeah, like we were Garrett and I were so close and we like weren't seeing anybody at the time. So we were kind of each other's like platonic people where we would be each other's platonic dates to weddings. And, you know, we would I I did cooking classes with him and his parents. And (laughs) um, yeah, we just spent a lot of time with his parents. So like I feel like we haven't seen them for I'd, years i don't think we've seen him seen his parents since his wedding yeah which was a, a long time ago now yeah like, like years ago yeah um but they they found out they actually live in the neighborhood of the new house that we're moving to so they heard that and they were like oh let's have them over for brunch because garrett was also in town he lives in bc now yeah so like let's all get together and have like a nice little brunch and it was so lovely it was very sweet yes it it was it was so nice. The food was so good. The conversation was so good. And they're so stoked that we're moving to this yeah. <laughs> into this area of town. They were giving us all these like tips on like who the neighbors yeah. are and like all this where this, you know, they're like, there's a bunch of secret walking paths. We'll show you where to go and like little hacks of how to get in and out of the neighborhood and stuff. And it was just, it was very cute. Their house was gorgeous. The, we played a little game. They introduced us to a new card game, which was awesome. And yeah, it was just like, it was really low key and lovely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just, it was nice to have people that were 
excited to have us over hadn't seen us in a while excited to see us and willing to make us food <laughs> <laughs> i love when people cook for me <laughs> um but yeah i'm still just wanted to mention that because i'm still kind of riding the high you're riding from, a high from, from the just lovely gentle low-key oh. afternoon we had with my high school best friend and his parents <laughs> yeah <laughs> who are going to be our new neighbors for two months before they move to bc and if they weren't moving they'd just be our new best friend probably honestly <laughs> them and their 16 year old dog yeah Ooh. mickey hang in there bud <laughs> um okay let's do it yeah let's talk about the movies we watched this week it was a really interesting week um we for the first time in a long time saw more movies in the theater than we saw at home mm-hmm. um which are mostly the latter half but we actually started at the theater so i'm gonna intro the first movie that we saw so we went and saw the movie run woman run it's pretty new it came out in 2021 but i i don't believe it's had a wide release not that i know of no. um so it's directed and written by zoe lee hopkins she's an indigenous writer and director um a mohawk woman born in bella bella who now lives in six nations um starring a really wonderful cast so dakota ray hibbert as beck jaylee wolf as jess azavat kutstichin as tom lauren cardinal as len Braden clark as john sladen pelche as uh the son eric he was great and mm-hmm. alex rice as loretta and there's more cast as well but those are kind of the key figures um i actually hadn't heard of this movie yeah me neither no and then uh you know it, it played at metro cinema which we're gonna rave about later mm-hmm. and have already a lot um and i just you know wanted to go out and support this film and our friend ashley uh, put it on our radar as well um so the synopsis for this if you haven't heard of this movie because we hadn't until recently is that beck a single mom living in six nations is struggling to cope with the death of her mother until an unlikely coach helps her out um so yeah we didn't really know a ton about this movie neither of us had watched a trailer for it before we went and saw it what did you think of it My three sort of describing words that I went to immediately for this is that it was nice, it was quiet, and it was funny. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that some things it absolutely hit the nail on the head with was, I think one of the one of the first things that stuck out for me was that it very accurately portrayed the frustrations that you have with family or important people in your Mm -hmm. life, um, especially when it comes to your health. Mm-hmm. Um, and just some of that rain, uh, very true. Just like thinking about the whole anti-mask of it all that we're living in now and just like how everybody has an opinion about it. And like they, some people try to like force that on you or force you to like do a certain thing. And it, it's, it, it can like this movie did a good balance of it feeling like, well, it, kind of came from a selfish place but also not like and just showing the complexity like for the that. character of beck yeah and like, like that was really interesting to me well i think yeah i mean to follow on what you're saying i i i would assume that that many of us have had a person in our life who is struggling with something whether it's an addiction or they're struggling with their mental health or just like making some choices that we don't agree with and i think this film explores both the difficulty of being that person and and kind of the complication of being the family who cares about that person, but also like you can't force another person to change. Yeah. Right? Um yeah. I, I I mean I can think of many examples in my own life where I've loved and cared deeply for someone, but I've had to take a step back and be like, this has to be your choice. And, you know, 
I'm just hurting you by wanting to wanting to what I perceive as help you, but it's just harming you more. And, you, you know, you need to, to live your life and make your choices. Yeah. And this film explores the, the complicated tension of that, of loving someone deeply and yet being frustrated by their inability to accept your help. Mm, yeah. That, yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Like, I think, yeah, I, th- I think that it does exactly that. It does a great job of just really featuring that in a really realistic way, in a way that, you know, you see like the character of, of Beck, like hearing what everybody in her life has to say about the issue at hand, but, you know, maybe she's not ready about like to, to, to make that change or to take on the like what they want of her and and how like that can affect family dynamics and communication and things like that so Mm -hmm. but with that being said too i like dakota ray hebert 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 uh was (laughs) wow it said that like four different ways (laughs) sorry dakota (laughs) was uh was awesome yeah she's really good and like i mean she's got absolutely the most screen time mm-hmm. um i hadn't seen her in anything before i hadn't seen most of this cast mm-hmm. um really great i agree with you i thought this movie was like i laughed a lot mm-hmm. it's also re- like really beautifully shot yeah um and i thought the music was really like the score was really lovely yeah like everything came together really nicely in this movie and i i just think like i came away thinking you know like it's important to go see movies like this just mm-hmm. because you know you know, like the one part of it is definitely like it's an indigenous made movie starring ma- mainly indigenous people. Um, mm-hmm. But also like it's just like this really small little indie project, mm-hmm. a Canadian indie project that, you know, when we go on letterbox, like not very many people have reviewed it. And mm-hmm. it's and like you said, like it hasn't gotten a wide release. So it's not getting the exposure that I think a film like this should mm-hmm. like i feel like a lot of people should see this movie and i think a lot of people would really like this movie like it you know i, I kind of said to you earlier today it did it does kind of remind me of the conversation we had last week about crazy rich asians and then in that conversation coda and that i have seen movies like this before but i haven't seen it done in this exact way so one thing that i thought was actually really beautifully handled that makes me really excited to see what zoe hopkins does next is the way that she interconnected trauma because there's a lot of Mm. trauma beneath the surface in this film without having trauma be the um, focus. Mm -hmm. So trauma, intergenerational trauma, language and loss of language, Mm. a connection to culture and and ancestors and, and kind of that, you know, family history. And then grief, which I think is a fundamentally human experience, even if you've been lucky enough not to experience trauma and to not, you know, we are not indigenous and we haven't experienced intergenerational trauma or the loss of our languages. Um, But grief is a universal experience. And then intertwining those things like trauma, language loss and and gain um, and grief together was just done so intricately. Mm. and subtly and yet such a grounding part of the film um and that ability to like weave these different and really complex things together that are both specific to the characters in the film to the people like the people who made the film and then also bound up in some of these more universal ideas 
makes me so excited to see how Hopkins continues to do that in her future work. Yeah, I agree. As you were talking there, I was kind of thinking, um, we're really suckers for movies and TV shows that delve into how, like, dealing with grief. Yeah, especially like, in a familial context, I think. Yeah. Which which brings me to the the one thing that, like, I, I, I think this is a compliment in that, like, I kind of wish this had been a TV show. Like, I, yeah. I was so yeah. drawn to actually all of the characters uh, that I almost wish that I got to spend more time with them outside of Beck. Mm-hmm. Like, I would watch a show where I get to go and also spend time with Jess and see her journey as someone who is becoming a language teacher for a language that, you know, she's pe- carrying on that tradition that her, that her mother had picked up of learning her language. I would have loved to to delve more into their dad's past to find out how he was coping with the loss of his wife. Um, the character of John was so like one of the funniest, so good, sweetest characters I think I've ever seen on film. Mm-hmm. Like I just I, you know, if they want to make this into a TV show, I will watch it. And that was like the one thing I, I feel like I was hungering for is all of these characters were so rich. And they were also important and, and integral to the story that at times I felt like we had a lot of threads happening at once. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to follow those threads in a way that a um, a film doesn't have time for. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, yeah, I agree. I totally would watch a show. Yeah, like, And with this cast, this. like this cast is wonderful. Um, I mean, hey, like when Parenthood ended, This Is Us started, which was like their next family yeah. drama. Maybe, hey, just NBC. Probably CBC. Yeah, good call. CBC. Turn this into a TV show. Yeah, Shit's Creek is over. So yeah, know, there you go. I th- I think this. Yeah, I was. I just wanted to spend more time with these characters because they were so rich and they were so lovely, and I felt like there was so much story there aside from Beck's story. And at times, Beck's family comes across as as almost like mean, mm-hmm. and I think they're not. Well, it's all like coming from a place of love. Exactly. So I would have loved to see their individual struggles as well, which a feature film just doesn't have time for. So yeah, I would. Um, yeah, like I would have loved to just delve deeper into her sister's mm-hmm. background and their dynamics growing up. Or see her son spend time with his father. Like, because I liked all yeah. the characters that much. I can't say that of every film I watch where I'm like, oh, I want, I want more of these characters. And in fact, you and I are like pretty off of TV right now. Like we're we're really not drawn to picking up a new tv show if this started as a tv show i would watch it tomorrow i agree so the other thing i do want to bring up um which made me feel a little uncomfortable at the start and the film got to a place where i i I didn't feel as uncomfortable with it is i would be really interested in hearing from someone with more knowledge of fat politics and fat liberation about the way that diet and health are tied together in this film Mm. um like diet health exercise and that kind of thing. I feel like in the end, this film is more about coping with grief than it is about those things. But at first, you know, as we were watching it at the beginning, I was like, oh, I I could see some of the like people in my life who are very much a part of like fat politics having some issues with like the way food is is talked about in the film. Right. And I felt like eventually the film you know, moved away from that and was in a different direction by the end. But I'm just not well versed enough in that conversation. And I'd, and I'd like to, to learn and know more. But um, I would be interested to hear some 
conversations, just discourses about the film. Not not like I'm saying critiques of it, but just conversations about the way that diet, health, exercise, food um, would come together in the film. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Because, yeah, a, a big thing that this like that this film made me think about and consider was my own personal love hate relationship with running. Um, I'll before you get into that, I'll just say that I have an only hate relationship with running. <laughs> yeah, I do love swimming, and you have only a hate relationship with swimming. Yeah, because I, I can't because I can't do yeah, it. <laughs> I can run. I just hate it. You would die if you swam. This is true. So, um, but yeah, you tell 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 us and me about your love hate relationship with running. So yeah, like the thing the thing is like in this movie, there's some really great sequences throughout the movie that that show the struggle and the hard work that goes into mm-hmm. becoming a runner. Mm-hmm. And then also just the benefits that come out the other side. Once you push through that initial struggle, mm-hmm. like once you've kind of gotten past that first wall and the joys you can, you can gain from it and, and what it, what it can do to enhance your life and your health as an, uh, another element of that. But for myself, like it felt very relatable, just, Again, highlighting that love-hate relationship with it. Like, it did a great job by the end of the movie of just reminding me of all the things that I love about running and how when I am in the flow of going running regularly, I am. I think that I'm a happier person. I I feel healthier. I think I sleep better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like when I when I get into running, like I'm watching YouTube channels for like motivation. I'm like getting into all like the gear and stuff like that. I just get so into it and so excited about it and I find it so motivating. I love it to use it as a time to like if, to listen to a podcast or to listen to music I've been wanting to listen to or like I like building playlists that like help me with like tempo runs or whatever it is. And like back in my early 20s I ran like a half marathon and that was like the biggest like adulthood post university like goal I set for myself mm-hmm. and achieved and that that was wild. And it made me feel so good. And then like, yeah, I remember one time we went out to, you had to do something in Leduc and I'm just like, I'm just going to go run around the lake for a while. Mm -hmm. And like, I ran around for just like two hours and just like enjoyed that. It wasn't about like getting a distance in. It was just about running. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's just like this, like I said, this movie did a really good job of you know, really highlighting and showing that it is a pain and really hard to get into the flow of that and to like want to, and to have the motivation to want to run or do any, any sort of exercise Mm -hmm. in general in life, just to try to fit it into your life. But it does a great job of also just showing how inspiring it can be. And I think, I think that's the thing that by the end of the film, I felt like really more more comfortable with the the way that that conversation I mentioned earlier was happening. And that in the end, the film isn't about running for weight loss, which at the beginning I thought it was going to be. Right. I thought that we were going to have some like dramatic transformation, which I was a little confused about because Beck is a babe. Yeah. And agreed. I was like, I don't know what we're going to do there. And that, and that's not ultimately what this film is about, which I'm really, really happy about, mm-hmm. but about how running, like running as this metaphor, but also in real life for you know like self-commitment and um it becomes a a way to cope with grief right Mm -hmm. and and to have this tangible thing 
to mark your progress. And, and it ultimately isn't about weight loss in the end, which is I'm really thankful for. And, you know, the the climactic part of the film made me feel all the feelings I think it wanted me to feel. I'm mm-hmm. a sucker for it. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. did it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really beautiful. So, that's yeah. A, that's a great way of putting it because it's totally true. Like, you're you're finding your limits when you start running mm-hmm. and then it's about pushing past them. Well, because running for you isn't about weight loss. It's running is something that like you enjoy doing. So substitute running with writing in a journal or playing the guitar or, you know, making time for family. Mm-hmm. So it's not about the exercise so much as it about as it, as it is about something that brings you some kind of benefit in your life that you have lost the time for and you want to get back. Right. Yeah. I yeah. And it's it's really easy to make excuses like when you live in Alberta and it's winter most of the time. It's just like I don't want to go outside and run in minus thirty weather. Mm-hmm. Or like it snowed. I don't want to go like it's really yeah, it's and that's but, that's where the love hate part comes in because like it's easy to fall in and out of love with mm-hmm. it. And yeah, it's And I mean substitute that for anything. I do that with reading. Yeah. Where reading is my probably favorite thing to do on my own and oh, I don't have time for it. I'm too tired or I'm teaching literature. I don't I, I don't have the brain power to read. And I've actually been reading a lot more lately, which like I really don't have the time to read right now. Like <laughs> we're moving, we're packing, we're doing this podcast thing. You know, like we've been spending time with people in our lives a little bit more lately. Um, and yet in the last month, I've read more than usual because I am, you know, instead of being on my phone before bed, I'm I have a book there. It also helps that people keep lending me books and I feel like I need to read them right away or I take them out from the library. But yeah, yeah, what I appreciate about the film in the end is it wasn't running as like a you have to run to lose weight or you have to run to because exercise is healthy, that it was about running as a metaphor for other things Yeah, that I think anybody could relate to. And like even me, who I'm never going to be a runner. This movie didn't inspire me to all of a sudden like want to run. Did make me want to find a way to get into the water because I do love to swim. But Mm -hmm. yeah, Um. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, when I was reading up on this movie a little bit, I found out a couple of really interesting things. First of all, it was shot in 20 days. That is impressive. Which is wild. That sounds impressive to me. I don't know much about shooting schedules, but. I, I mean, like, me neither, really. Like, <laughs> I, my only experience with shooting things are usually like TV commercials, and that's mm-hmm. usually like a day to two days of a shoot. Yeah, but however long they say it's going to take, it t- tends to take three times longer. Exactly. Um. And I guess during like that uh, climatic scene that you talked about in the movie, um, Zoe Hopkins, like, I guess that she could not shout cut because she was just sobbing. Oh, that's beautiful, though. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Like, I just again, it's just like that passion for your art and whatever you're making. And it just like when it just hits you on level. Like, I know that I've like I've listened to. I've really like listened back to the our podcasts or I've listened back to music I've made and like just have an emotional reaction to it because it's like wow like we made this thing and it's like so awesome and so and you're so proud of it and the people that helped you make it or whatever it is yeah I thought well, that was awesome and that you know I am so excited for I, I really liked this movie mm-hmm. and you know as a I think a first or one of the first feature things that Zoe Hopkins has done it makes me really excited for where she's gonna go um, and so I was looking her up because I'm excited about the work she's doing. And mm. uh, I want to read something from her website because I think it's really beautiful. Um, 
and we've talked about a lot how we just we love people who are making art and love what they're doing and i i could feel that in this film and then i went and i read this and i could feel it even more so this is from hopkins website she said um i used to want to be an actor but there wasn't exactly a lot of roles for folks who look like me so i was afraid to say that it was my dream to be an actor i felt limited my dreams could only go so far i figured if i wanted a meaty role i would have to write it myself so i got a degree in film from x university ryerson and discovered you don't learn to make films at film school. You learn to make films by making films. I began making Arts Council funded shorts. Thank you, BC Arts, Ontario Arts and Canada Council. By some stroke of luck, my first short premiered at Sundance the same year I did the Sundance Filmmaker Labs. That place was magic, like Disneyland for filmmakers. So much has happened in this industry since I first appeared in a film at 15 years old. We now have Reservation Dogs, Rutherford Falls, Night Raiders, and I'm in development on my own series, plus writing and directing on another Indigenous-led limited series. These are exciting times to get to be a part of a movement to literally change the face of TV and film in terms of on-screen and behind-the-camera representation, and it's about time. I wish my mentor, Murata Mita, was still around to see it all. She would be so proud. I'm here because of her, because of my grandparents, my parents, my extended family, my love of my community, and so that my son might see himself and know that there is no limit to his imagination or his dreams. Mm-hmm. fucking awesome <laughs> i love that so much i know i read that and i was just like well now i like you even more yeah it's so great and, and like that that opening bit it reminded me of just like some of the things that like kihi kwang from mm-hmm. everything everywhere all at once has been saying like he he got out of acting for like 20 years because they weren't making roles for they weren't making leading roles for asian actors or mm-hmm. you know roles that weren't stereotypes or anything like that so he just like left the industry so like yeah, I think it's very real for non-white people that want to get into entertainment, specifically television and movies, to if you want to make your name, it's like it's not easy. And I imagine that some really amazing, talented people like that have really great things to say and to show us just We never got to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So like good for her. I, I Yeah, I will be so looking out for That's what awesome. she does in the future and, and hearing on her website that she's um writing and directing uh both her own series and an Indigenous-led limited series. I'm excited to see what those are, especially because we just, maybe one of them is this movie (laughs) made into a TV show, Um, which transitions me well into, uh, we got some shares and some likes from Zoe Hopkins. Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you if you're listening. Um, We really liked your movie and that's really sweet of you. Yeah, you're the best. Uh, Um, Really cool to have somebody hear that we liked what they did. So it means something, you know, not everybody... I think this is something we experience in life in general, you know, not not always knowing that someone has been touched by something we said or something we did or just who we are, because I think that as humans, we get scared to tell people when they've made an impression on us because it's such a vulnerable thing to do. And I think all of us could use hearing that somebody thinks we're cool or nice or loved what we did a little bit more. So, uh, Zoe Hopkins, we love what you did. Absolutely. Which leads me to my last question. How did this movie make you feel? It made me feel really nice in my mm. heart and very excited. But it also made me feel like I, I want to start running again. <laughs> um, I think you 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 nailed it in that we don't we do have a lot going on, so I'm afraid to just like start put something else in there. Yeah, exactly. Like I think once we're settled into our new home and just life calms down a little bit more and there's just like space and time that opens up for me to do something to take on another another thing um i'm excited 
that I can start doing that and leading into summer as well. It's just going to be, it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be th- thinking about and thanking this movie for mm-hmm. kind of shaking me out of a bit of a slump. Yeah. And for me, this movie made me really hopeful. Like it, it has a really hopeful message and I didn't get into it too much there, but anytime I see a film about grief, but specifically about the grief of losing a parent, um, especially for a, like Beck's a younger person, mm. you know, not all, I mean, thankfully not everyone in the world loses a parent when they're young. You know, I, I connected with it on that level, even though I lost my father in a really different way and context than how Beck lost her mother in the film. Um, but getting to see the struggle of grief this isn't the last film we're going to talk about that with this week. Um, It made me hopeful that there's, even when you've struggled with your grief or communicating it to other people, that it's never too late to make those connections and to do the work. So, you know, yeah, I I really, I'm thankful for that about this film as well. Lovely. Awesome. (laughs) Always so mushy us. Um, Okay, next movie, also about grief. In a very different way. Yeah. Um, they're not all about grief. This they're week. not all about grief. Yeah. There are a lot of dead people. Well, in all the movies we watched almost. Okay, anyway, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> so the next movie was my first and only mystery pick of the week. Um, I chose the movie A Fantastic Woman from 2017. I had taken it out of the library. It was my last thing at the library, and then I could return everything all at once. <laughs> um. And uh, yeah, so this is something that actually had been on my radar since the year that it came out and I just hadn't gotten around to seeing it. It was directed by Sebastian Lelio and written by him as well as Gonzalo Mazza. And it's starring a lot of people, but I'm only going to talk about two of them. So it's starring Daniela Vega as Marina Vidal and Francisco Reyes as Orlando. Um, The synopsis here is Marina, a transgender woman who works as a waitress and moonlights as a nightclub singer, is bowled over by the death of her boyfriend. Um, and before we get into it, this film contains a lot of violence and misogyny directed at trans women, mm-hmm. um, including like dead naming, misgendering, and then and and more physical violence as well. So mm-hmm. not an easy watch. And yeah, I'll, we'll talk about that more. But um, before we do, what did you think of this movie? I thought that, that again, the descriptors that kind of came bubbled up as soon as the credits started rolling was like this again was a very quiet mm-hmm. movie for the most part um it's uh it was very like introspective um but yeah it was also like it was a difficult movie at times mm-hmm. and like it was also obliterating at other times you know I, I feel like this is the the word of every week is that it was beautiful mm-hmm. like it it had a beautiful depiction of grief mm-hmm. and how it affects different people, but the way that it affected our our main character, played by Daniela Vega, was like she she nailed it. She crushed it. She crushed yeah. it. She was incredible in this. Dan- Daniela Vega is phenomenal and stunning in this movie. Um, her fashion, first of all, I wanted awesome. every outfit she so wore awesome. in this movie. Um, and I wanted her hair. Like I wish I could pull off hair like that. Mm-hmm. I just like don't like styling hair, so I keep it short. <laughs> Um, but one of the things that I was really left with after this is like, I'd really like to see Danielle Vega and something about joy because she, she was amazing in this. And I'd love to see her in something where she doesn't have to just be experiencing 
violence and misogyny and transphobia the entire time. Um, Agreed. It's kind of like what I was mentioning about Adam Driver. Like, I was sick of watching him just be a bad dude. Like, I just wanted to watch him as something nice. <laughs> we can compare c- cis man Adam Driver with <laughs> trans woman. You know I, I, I know, I know. You I'm, know I'm mean. bugging you. you I'm goof. bugging you. I just uh, just wanted to poke you a little bit there. Um, consider me poked. <laughs> consider you poked. So, uh, but she was phenomenal. And like the f- the first fifteen minutes of this movie is just about a person living their life, mm-hmm. and then and then the death happens, and from there it's just violence and something that I I think I I said I don't know if I said this to you or if I've just been saying it to myself, but Run Woman Run is so much about a person who is refusing to allow themselves to grieve. And mm-hmm. this movie is about someone who nobody else will let them grieve. And so, you know, in Run, Woman, Run, Beck has the support should she want it, but she won't allow herself to access it. In this, um, Marina doesn't have the support. And so her her grief is halted by all these people who won't legitimize her grief or allow her to um, to have the space and time to grieve. Yeah. Uh, Brutal. So it is. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I did really like this film. And when it ended, I was really moved by it. But I did feel uncomfortable with kind of the lens and the amount of violence that was heaped onto the character of Marina. And of course, a different way than like a boys don't cry. But violence nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, like this movie is pretty damn new. And yet kind of that content and, and the focus being on the difficulty of marina's life with so little time for the mundaneness of of her life which Mm. all of us have mundaneness in our lives and the um universality of her life and and the specificity of her life aside from violence and difficulty isn't there and that kind of felt old to me right that there wasn't complexity within that and after we saw it um on letterboxd i I was seeing a lot of one-star reviews and those were all coming from trans women and then i thought okay even though i really enjoyed this this film is a cis woman i should take take a listen to what trans women are saying and i'd like to read a portion of um an article i found by uh, willow mcclay who is a trans woman mm-hmm. um because i i think the title of it is very telling it says a fantastic woman fails to reckon with its transgender lead and of course it's important then to point out that sebastian lelio is a cis man um so willow mcclay says in this article uh, and it's i'm not reading the whole thing i'm reading the the last bit of it How useful is a bombastic depiction of transphobia in making a social statement? It seems that Lelio should have let viewers know more about Marina, developed her character further so the audience could feel deeper empathy for this poor tortured woman who can't even have a dog without facing hostility. But the question I have as a trans woman is this. What exactly is a fantastic woman's function as transgender cinema? Now that we see actual transgender bodies on screen rather than the misguided versions of trans people that were long presented by cisgender filmmakers, Where are the transgender voices that should be guiding the conversation? A fantastic woman isn't made with a fundamental understanding of trans women's bodies or personalities. The film is about the external factors of prejudice that influence the day-to-day life of a transgender person. The vast amount of punishment inflicted upon Marina in this movie does not offer insight into who she is as a person. And the film barely scratches the surface of what it's actually like to be inside of a body that is transgender. Woman's only real moment of guile and guts comes when Marina has to reveal her body to police officers as she's being investigated as a person of interest in the possible murder of Orlando. Even then, the camera pans away from Marina as she hesitates, moving to a medium close-up of the officers reacting to her body with muted disgust. 
Vega, to her credit, imbues the role with humanity during her uncomfortable reactions to transphobia and the brief moments of pure, almost reckless joy we see in musical montages. Those moments prevent the film from being completely worthless, but Vega deserves better. She should be the voice of this picture, but Lelio never places us in her shoes. It is a cowardly decision to take a third-person approach to this project, an approach that effectively says this isn't a movie for transgender women, but rather a movie designed to shame cisgender transphobes. The sort of person who should never bother to watch, who would never bother to watch the film in the first place or to realize their own actions are horrific. A Fantastic Woman is a lesson in how you shouldn't mistreat transgender people presented to moviegoers who already have that basic sense of human decency. For the trans women, well, we already know being transgender means no one listens to our narratives about life, but this is a reminder that if a cisgender person tells a story about us, it's suddenly gospel. Yeah, I, th I think it's important mm -hmm. that you found that and shared that here. I think what it made me think of is something that I, I say when I teach To Kill a Mockingbird, which is a book that I'm trying to get away from teaching. And I say this a lot, and I, I believe this. I think I've said it twice in my classroom in the last week that I think it's okay to like things that have problems, mm -hmm. but we should name those problems and have conversations about them. And so something I say a lot when I teach To Kill a Mockingbird is we need to reckon with the fact that this was a book about race written by a white woman for white people. And I wonder if that's true of this film. It's a film about trans folks made by a cisgender person for cisgender people. And so it brings up that question we've had not only of who tells whose stories, but who tells whose stories and for whom? Yeah. Like, who is the intended audience? And yeah, I just, I... I felt that a little bit in the film. I'm like, I'm enjoying this. I am enjoying this and I'm getting something out of it, but at whose expense? And um, and I wanted to hear her voices that aren't, aren't necessarily exactly like mine. And, and there seemed to be a general agreement kind of there that there, this film speaks to some broader problems in, in whose stories are being told and by who. Yeah, well, and like something I was, I was reading about this is that Daniela Vega was actually initially hired as the yeah. script consultant for this movie but the director was like and she had no acting experience at all but sebastian that's Le surprising Lela, she's phenomenal yeah and sebastian lelio like he offered her the lead role mm -hmm. and she took it um obviously like because like this is uh, to some degree like this is a story that's also coming from her maybe her experiences or mm -hmm. maybe a story that she wanted to tell or felt passionately about um i don't know enough about that yeah i don't know either so but like we always have to think about like people you know in the conversations we had we've had about kihi kwan and you know that we he heard from what zoe hopkins has at her on her website sometimes people also take roles that they don't agree with so that they can get an in into the industry or you know that it's you know like we, we have to think about that too right Yep. Um, so I, I don't know enough and I don't know. I haven't heard enough about what Daniela Vega has said about this. I mean, the film is beautiful and I I did get a lot out of it and I enjoyed watching it. But then when I thought about it more afterwards, I I wish it had been a film that Daniela Vega had made, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like I wish that she had been the writer and director. Yeah, I get, um, I get it. Another quick piece that I want to read um, was so it's from AV Club, which has been my go to. For movie reviews for a long time but the the website just basically fired everybody so i don't i don't know if it's still going to be my go-to but this is an old review by ignati vishnevetsky um and i i really liked what was said here so uh they said i think he said 
Um, Lilio's social critique is blunt but compelling. I agree with that. Um, repeatedly sidelining his heroine's emotional arc, he shows how these small infringements add up to a denial of a basic right, the right of a protagonist to keep moving their own story forward. We get the sense that none of this is news to Marina. She bears every insult with a look of dispirited composure, whether it's a vice squad detective subjecting her to a medical examination or Orlando's ex-wife insisting that she surrender the keys to his Volvo station wagon. The only member of Orlando's family who treats Marina like a human being or consistently refers to her as a woman is his gentle brother, Gabo. But his meekness only condones the behavior of the others, which builds from snobbery into outright physical intimidation and violence. In a tricky gambit, Lilio makes Marina's identity as a trans woman a non-issue for the first 15 minutes of A Fantastic Woman. We see her at first from Orlando's point of view singing at a nightclub gig only to have it badger and bully its way into nearly every scene that follows. In a better world, the immediate aftermath of Orlando's death would be the first act, perhaps the beginning of a story about Marina dealing with a profound loss, moving on, trying to start over, and so on. In a world that still treats this character's identity as a form of imposture, it's a whole film. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that those are things we're thinking about. At the same time, the film divorced from that discourse is beautiful. Use of color, framing. There's a shot of Marina um, collapsing in a bathroom stall where the camera is framed around the bottom of the stall that I found to be one of the most beautiful, like, it riled up emotions in me just from the framing. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I really liked the use of color, even in the end credits. I think um, like the cinematography overall, like the way I would describe it is that it feels intimate and personal. Mm-hmm. Like it, it feels very, you feel very connected to um, Danielle Vega's character throughout the whole thing. Well, you felt very connected to Danielle Danielle Vega's character but would everyone I I think that I feel like what it, through what it's trying to achieve it's kind of wanting to keep you in her shoes as much as possible like in in the scenarios that she's in and like the the different things she goes through like it feels like you're in the room when this is happening mm-hmm. like Obviously, you're in the room when this is happening, but it just like it feels that you're kind of like a bit of a fly on the wall Mm -hmm. throughout like this story of her life. Yeah, but like something else too is like I wish, like I know that there isn't necessarily the same movie with if this if this were to happen, but like I I really wish that we got to see more time between her and Orlando. (laughs) Like uh, I, I thought, what they in like the short amount of time we spend with them and seeing the relationship dynamics, it's very sweet and very nice. Well, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing in both um, what uh, Willow McClay had to critique about the film and also Ignati Vishnevetsky, which are two very different perspectives, is that actually the first, teen, first 15 minutes of the film are the revolutionary part of the film. And then what's wonderful about that is sidelined for a story that, you know, and I, I think I would agree with Willow McClay. It's a story that, the people who need to hear it probably aren't going to engage with it. Mm-hmm. And the people who already agree with it, do we need to see this depicted? Right. Yep. Um, yeah. So I'm really glad I've seen it. And I, I had a lot of feelings in interrogating, like, because when I first watched it, I really liked it. And then I was like, I don't know that this film was necessary. Although I'm so thankful to get to see Daniela Vega and something, because I'd like to see her in more. 
Because yeah, like just some other things about this movie, like it won the best foreign language film at the Oscars in 2018. That was before they changed it to international film. It used to be called foreign language film. That's what it was listed as okay. on IMDb. So and it's maybe Spanish. Uh, it's from Chile. Okay. Um, and Daniela Vega was snubbed, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so, and also, it was the first Chilean movie to win an Oscar, and it was also the first transgender-led film to win uh, best foreign language film at that time. Um, but something that I read that was like actually kind of interesting is like activists in Chile utilize the win to accelerate local discussions on gen- mm-hmm. the gender mm-hmm. equality bill in Chile. In Chile, then subsequently approved laws for transgender citizens um and their official details in late 2018 oh, interesting so like really quickly like same year that the oscars happened by the end of that year um yeah like real life co- positive consequences from the film being made yeah so like interesting that like yeah just like the the impact that this has on like a pop culture zeitgeist can mm-hmm. also influence the the current zeitgeist of a of a of a place in the world and I mean, and if you divorce the discourse from this film, grief is one of the things that has most impacted my life and that I appreciate seeing on film so that I can, it can open conversations with people in my life and I can think about my own navigation of grief. And that's actually what I connected with most in this film was, was the depiction of grief. Mm. Um, and I think that's done really well. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it, uh, I don't know. I feel complicated about this movie. Mm. That's fair. But how, how did this movie make you feel? Um, it just like, it made me feel the love that I have for intimate stories mm. like this. Um, it's this double-edged sword of like, I'm really happy to see the representation that's happening mm-hmm. here, but also, you know, remaining critical mm-hmm. of how, like what this film how how it got to this point and like kind of the messages it's sending out and how like those messages are kind of mixed and can are open for interpretation. Mm-hmm. But like the last thing I wanted to mention that I thought was really cool is that in this in this movie, Marina is an opera singer mm-hmm. in the yeah, film. Yeah, and it's her, right? It's her real voice. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um I guess so, like forget the fashion, although the fashion's impressive, that voice. It's wow. something. Um yeah. 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 I, I I get the complicated feelings. Yeah, I kind of, you know, one of the things I was left with is that this film made me feel a lot of pathos for Marina, but I feel like I wanted to feel more for her than that, and the film didn't offer me anything more than that. Totally fair. I get it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're going we're going away from these conversations yes. with the next movie. All right. <laughs> you you broke up the uh complicated diversity discussion here <laughs> i also broke up. i wanted to keep the woman theme going because we we started with run woman run and, <laughs> and then, then fantastic, fantastic woman. woman i'm like do i find a third movie that has woman in the title but didn't didn't keep that theme going either um but hot off of our conversation with jeremy where it was revealed that we hadn't seen the movie the dead don't die we watched the dead don't die <laughs> yeah um it's from 2019 directed and written by jim jarmusch no, say it right. Jim Jarmish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this was your chance to correct yourself. Um, it's starring Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, Chloe Savini, and a few other folks as well. The synopsis for this one, a peaceful town in Centerville finds itself battling a zombie horde as the dead start rising from their graves. So I wanted to watch this. I mean, Jeremy reminded us 
um, when we were talking about Patterson that, you know, both you and him thought that this was my pick during that week, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to watch this when it first came out, but it just kind of fell off the radar and yeah, I mean like it's been kind of in our conversations lately, so why not throw this on? And yeah, we, we had a couple of, you know, a little bit headier movies Mm -hmm. for the first two of the week. So just wanted to have a little bit of fun with this one, but what do you think of this one? I thought it was really funny. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Which is like not what everyone agrees no, on. on people hate this movie. People hate this movie. Not everybody, but a lot of people hate this movie. This is an incredibly low rating on both IMDb and Letterboxd. Yeah. And like pretty strong dislike from critics as well. Um, but I liked it. Yeah, it was pretty good. So that to be said, uh, you might not like it you whoever's listening but i did i thought it was really funny i thought like this is my kind of humor yeah like i'm not a big comedy movie person this is the kind of humor that gets me um the like just the way the lines are read the line readings are so funny continual use of like the same joke three or four times yeah (laughs) which i love and other people probably like "Mm, heard this before which is fine okay if you don't like that uh, use of the uncanny, just like things that are a little off. Yeah. Um, great visual gags. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like Adam Driver's car in this great visual gag. Um, Adam Driver just on the whole oh, so was funny my, in this. my favorite takeaway from this movie. He was so good. He was so and uh, <laughs> Steve Buscemi's hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, there's a real social critique buried in, like, the visuals of this. Not buried, but, like, full on full display, opposite mm. of buried. Um, come out from the grave uh, in this in this film. Yeah, I thought it was really funny. I really liked it. Yeah, it, it totally subverts the zombie movie expectations that you have. Um, yeah, this is not a typical zombie movie. No, not at all. It, like, it's hyper aware of itself. It's not afraid to make fun of itself and what it is, and it's not afraid to dig into tropes or like not even just of the horror genre just of like anything anything life yeah (laughs) um speaking of adam driver one of the like funniest things that i think is that this came out after the movie patterson Mm -hmm. and his movie in or his name in this movie is peterson (laughs) (laughs) yeah at first we got confused we're like oh is this like is he patterson but later but no he's peterson so we can expect in the next jim jamarush movie that piterson piterson poterson potterson (laughs) sometimes piterson (laughs) once again um this movie is like a real like yes end movie oh yeah big time like that stretches the limits of belief (laughs) and i don't think it cares that it does no um like, I feel like the the movie itself, like, like Jim Jarmusch is like, I don't care if you're in or not. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you've decided to bow out of this movie. I'm going to keep going, which is why I get why a lot of people don't like this or and like why this is an unlikable movie. I think if you're going to watch it, you just got to go along for the ride. Yeah. You just got to be like, oh, the second you realize what like the vibe of this movie is, you just have to be in and like not be a grouch about it. Um, It does have a lot of plots that don't really end up stringing together yeah (laughs) yeah probably on purpose because i feel like jim jarmusch is like a master troll like he's like trolling society well yeah i think even in he was doing that in patterson oh yeah like i was thinking about how he said like he was 
like intentionally being anti-significant in Patterson. I'm like, that's literally this entire movie. Yeah. Like Patterson, it's a he's like, oh, I'll throw twins in there, but it won't mean anything. I'll put foreshadowing that never comes to fruition. But in this, it was just like nothing is significant. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> literally nothing. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah. So there's like a lot of like plots with different characters that don't really end up meshing together. But I, I was interested in all of them. Yeah. Like everybody seemed to be having fun with this. Yeah. Like there's a lot of fun to be had. And like, yeah, when it's just kind of a big troll movie and yeah, like there's nothing of significance, especially coming after for us coming up after the last two movies yeah. we watched, like which are super significant or want to be at least. Yeah. Like it, it's funny. This is really funny. Just like other side of the coin. Oh yeah. And the ending is bananas. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what I was just like, how does this movie get any more strange? Well, and for a little bit of context, like if you don't know anything about Jim Jarmusch. Stop calling him Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> is that this was his first movie that's gotten a wide release. Really? Yeah. Oh. Well, so like probably won't get another one. <laughs> yeah, one try. Sorry, Jim. Jim. <laughs> um Yeah. The like the zombie of it all is so silly. Oh yeah coffee <laughs> <laughs> iggy pop right as yeah. one of the zombies um yeah this movie was ridiculous and i was here for it yeah i had a lot of fun i don't think i'm gonna watch it like a million times i probably would watch it again though yeah i i agree if i was in like a very particular kind of mood mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't really have much more to say <laughs> did you know though so for some reason, I didn't write down what Tilda Swinton's character's last name is. But do you know what her first name is? No. Zelda. Mm. You notice her hair and the way she was dressed? It's supposed to be like Zelda from the video games. Oh, my God. It is, though, right? Like, what? now that I've said that, do you see that? I do. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. This movie is just like, I feel like it's just one big, like, pile of dog poop flaming on society's doorstep with, like, the bell ringing and being like, <laughs> open the door. <laughs> Your poop is here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, that's great. So how did it make you feel? I just was in complete disbelief, like head shaking, laughing at what Jim Jarmusch was doing and here for it the entire time. Yeah. Like I was just like, is this really happening? I agree. I'm I'm, I'm happy to have finally seen it. And yeah. Yeah. I'm just like thankful for how like ridiculous and how fun it was and it was a great breakup to the for to the week i was it was great yeah it was it was one goofy ass movie and i enjoyed it yeah speaking of yeah another goofy ass movie um so for our last two movies we saw in the theater um the first one we saw and we were trying to decide which one we were going to see on friday night and which one we were going to see on saturday night both new releases both bro yeah both came out this friday um but we had something we had to do on Friday night um, that meant we were going to have to go to a late show. And the next movie was a lot longer. So we went to this one on Friday because it was a little bit shorter. So we went and saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> came out in... What a title. One of the best titles out that exists. <laughs> so it came out just this year, 2022. Directed by Tom Gormican, who I don't know. No, me neither. Um, written by him and Kevin Etten. Starring Nicolas Cage as Nick Cage, <laughs> N-I-C-K, specifically Cage, uh, Pedro Pascal as Javi Gutierrez, 
Tiffany Haddish as Vivian and then like a whole host of other people. So Ike Barinholtz, who I, I'm a I'm a fan of. He was in Mindy Project, yes. Mm-hmm. Um Sharon Horgan, who plays uh Nick Cage's wife. And I don't know her, but I loved her. Mm-hmm. Great counterpoint to him. Lily Mo Sheen plays his daughter, so she's a Sheen. Oh, like Michael? Michael Sheen's kid? Is there a Michael Sheen? Oh. Like not of like Martin Sheen, Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, but of Michael Sheen of like oh! Frost Nixon. So I, okay, so I saw Sheen and I just like my head went to Charlie Sheen. But now I've just just the second Googled Michael Sheen and realized I do know who he is. Yeah. And he she totally looks like his kid. So uh I think she's Kate Beckinsale and his kid. He's with Kate Beckinsale. He was. He was with Kate Beckinsale and then Sarah Silverman and now he's with somebody else. Oh, um, all right. But he is related to, no, he's related to Carolyn Sheen. I don't know who the heck that is. A lot of Sheens in the world. Um, Let me just confirm this. So fun for all of you listening that I'm confirming this. Lily Mo Sheen is, yeah, Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen's kid. Wonderful. She looks like the two of them put together, so that makes sense. I get it. Um, But she plays Nick Cage's daughter, and then Neil Patrick Harris plays his agent. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard of this movie, the synopsis is, in this action-packed comedy, Nicolas Cage plays Nick Cage, channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a superfan and a CIA agent. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> How did this ridiculous movie make you feel? No. Whoa. I got way ahead. <laughs> Whoa, way ahead of myself there. What did you think? <laughs> Sorry. I, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> like you're being right now. I am so funny. Um, I'm not the biggest Nick Cage fan. No. Um, but that like this movie, this movie was just such a fun watch. It was hilarious. Made all the more fun by the theater experience that oh we goodness. had watching this movie. Yeah, we have to talk about this. Okay, so we can we can kind of ping pong this one, but essentially we went we went to the later show, and there was I think. Three or four groups of people. Three in this in this movie theater, including us. Four, including us. Yes. Yeah. So there was a person there all by themselves. Yeah. So I'm like, God bless him. Yeah. Like, do you just like love Nick Cage? You're so excited for this movie. You're like, I, like I I'd, I'd love to know the story. This makes me want to start like interviewing people after like running up to them before they leave the theater and being like, So why are you here? <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what 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 brought you here on opening night? So there's one person who came all by all by themselves. Um, a couple that seemed like a very just like regular run of the mill people, mm-hmm. and then oh, just like the biggest gift of guys, <laughs> the biggest gift of guys. So it starts with like this theater is basically empty. It's opening night. We're sitting way at the back. This person is like, we're very last row. Mm-hmm. This person who came by themselves is like almost like they're at the row before the front seats, but they're way down at the bottom of the theater. This couple that comes in is like closer to the bottom. And then these guys come in like totally empty theater. And then they sit right in front of us. Yeah. And like they seem so confused. They're like trying to find the because all of the seats you have to buy ahead of time now. And those aren't their seats. And they're like, oh, I don't know where they are. Let's just sit here. And I was like, guys, can you not just sit here? Like it's an empty theater. Like, <laughs> yeah, can we can we have some distance? And then they ended up figuring out where their actual seats were. So these two guys sit down. Seems good enough. But then. Two, two, two more, more join guys. their party. Yeah. yeah. 
It was very clear from the get-go that they had imbibed in some things that would help to make the movie sillier <laughs> prior to entering the theater. Uh-huh. It, you both could tell from their general demeanor and the smells that wafted by as they walked past. <laughs> yeah. Um, but why don't you talk about what these four people were like? So it started immediately. As soon as anything, <laughs> not even like big laugh moments were happening, anything even remotely, remotely funny. funny, these guys were just cackling so loud at everything and it was the most comical laugh like it was like (laughs) it was like ah ah it was amazing and that sustained yeah the whole (laughs) the whole movie (laughs) it was so the best way I can describe this is that this was a nearly empty theater and these four people made it seem like it was jam packed yeah like it made it seem like there was a theater of 150 people all laughing at once when really there was a theater of nine people including us with four of them laughing loud enough and often enough that it seemed like everybody was laughing um i have to say this didn't bother me in the slightest oh no there was there was one there was one part (laughs) of the movie where what was happening in the movie was like really, really funny. So I was laughing really hard and you were laughing really hard. And then in the back, you just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> like And oh then that made us laugh even louder because of how those, those people were laughing that you and I couldn't, couldn't get, like we couldn't get the laugh. The laughter wouldn't go away. And we were like looking at each other and laughing even more. And like, we're like silent. You know that like you can't stop laughing and now it's silent. And I'm pretty sure we both started crying from laughing so hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I definitely think the three people down below did not appreciate it. <laughs> no. But it made me enjoy the movie even more. Oh, 10 times more. Oh, yeah. And so my favorite part about this, my absolute favorite part is, you know, as if, you, if you've been listening to the show, then you know that we stay through the credits. So we're sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> and these four people, they walk past because they're they're in the row right ahead of us but like all the way on the left hand side we're on the right hand side but they decide they decide to walk through the aisle they didn't have to they could have just gone out the other side but they walk through the aisle and down and as they pass us one of them turns around and goes so did you guys like it <laughs> yeah which i thought was the sweetest like, I loved that. I was like, why don't we just, like, ask strangers if they liked movies more? Like, we should start doing that. We yeah. should just, like, turn to the people near us and be like, did you like it? Yeah. How did it make you feel? What did you think? <laughs> yeah, keep it up, Brand. <laughs> um, I will never forget this movie theater experience. And I, I, I have to believe that one of those, the other three people in the theater will never forget it in a negative way. I will never forget it in a positive way. Usually I'm griping about theaters, but this was so amazing. And I will never stop imitating that laugh. It's so funny. Yeah, like, (laughs) I bet you if you know this person. Good for you. Yeah, like. What a gift. What a gift, indeed. So, like, (laughs) yeah, this is a funny movie made all the more funnier by how much those four people were enjoying it. Um, I have to say, though, this movie has a surprising amount of heart for such a silly concept. Yeah. Like, it was really sweet. Very sweet. Um, yeah, I loved the relationship that was between Nick Cage and uh, Pedro Pascal's character, Javi, in this. And it was just such a, like, pure depiction of, like, fan culture. 
Yeah. Like of like what yeah. it would be like to get to spend the day with someone you're a big fan of and not in like a creepy like single white female way, but in like a I just I, I I'm nervous because I I'm such a fan of you and I don't want to blow this and I and I want to get to know you and I want you to like me. And I just like like who in this day and age of like, you know, feeling like we are more connected to celebrities or people that we're fans of because people feel more accessible due to social media and all this kind of stuff um who can't relate to being a really big fan of at least one person and like what it might be like to meet them it was so it was so sweet and so like tender and gentle so um, pure so pure like it, it just like i was like goofy smiling like goofy laughing i'm just like oh this is so cute yeah like this is so sweet and like it could it like it's not like broy no like it's really it's like it's like soft boy tender friendship yeah <laughs> and like it, it was it was so nice and like all packaged in this movie that's just like hyper aware of itself and how ridiculous it is and it leans it leans full on into it oh, yeah. which is so nice it has some like really great just like action sequences some really great funny sequences like i mean it's not it's not doing anything that is incredible no. <laughs> or like mind mind bending but like it's it was it was really fun yeah it's got this like it, it does a meta commentary thing yeah which i personally am a sucker for i know that there's uh lots of folks who are probably like everything's meta now and i'm over it but i, I still really like it mm -hmm. um, and i probably could have done without the action stuff because you know that i'm not like a particular action person but this was like a really fun ride like you i'm not like a gigantic nick cage fan although i think he's made some like really good movies lately yeah. didn't love mandy as much as the rest of the world does um did really like pig I, I just watched his um wired autocomplete interview and one of the questions was what's his favorite movie he's worked on he said it was pig pig was good i liked it a lot loved it um it's my understanding that if you are a big nick cage fan there's a lot of like easter eggs in here that like just totally would have gone over like our heads yeah i think i probably picked up on more than you did just because i've seen more yeah. of the movies and stuff that they're referencing because he's been in some just like like the type of movie I never would have watched. Yeah. But I do love Raising Arizona. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. And gr like growing up, like as a little kid, I was watching like Con Air and The Rock and I don't they kept talking about The Rock. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Like like The Rock? Like from Moana? No. No, I know. Like... I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to make a joke. I was trying to make a joke <laughs> yeah. and it did not land. Ah! <laughs> Oh man, yeah. We so you knew what those golden guns were? Yeah, face off. Yeah. Yeah, you've seen that? Oh yeah. So you are Love. you're a bigger Nick Cage fan than I am. I've seen a lot of Nick Cage stuff. The Rock was in uh the Criterion collection. <laughs> really? Have you <laughs> yeah. seen it? You just said Lots you had. Of times. You just said yeah, you had. I like it a lot. Um what's funny about this, uh something I wanna like shout out to is there's a uh, I think it's a showtime show that you and I really like, which I think more people need to watch called Work in Progress. Yeah, and in work in progress, Weird Al Yankovic plays a fictionalized version of himself. It's such a trippy thing for an actor to play a fictionalized version of themselves, because like for a while in work in progress, I was like, oh, is he actually married to that person? Is that actually their kid? But like none of that's true. Like he's, it's not Weird Al Yankovic the person. It's Weird Al Yankovic playing the character Weird Al Yankovic, and the same is true of this, right? Like, um, from what I read outside of this, is like Nicolas Cage, the real human being, is quite shy. He's like at least this is what the internet's telling me he's like very down to earth and like in this movie he plays this like bombastic lacking self-awareness 
uh, extroverted guy, he plays who people think he is, right? Mm. Um, it's such a trippy thing. Yeah. Pretty. It was really fun, though. Yeah. So, so how did, how did, now's the time for this question. How did this movie make you feel? <laughs> um, it, the, my main takeaway is that it just fueled my love that I have for Pedro Pascal. Mm. And it just made me excited to see him play Joel in The Last of Us. Oh, of course you would bring it to that. <laughs> Even though Javi is not anywhere near what Joel is going to be no, like. But I just like Pedro Pascal is just like, I love that he's having a moment. Like, I love him in The Mandalorian. I think he's great. Um, And I, I loved him in this. And yeah, I'm just, he, he just seems like a really cool person. <laughs> and uh, So you, in... In this scenario, you would be the Pedro Pascal fan. Yeah. You'd I, be that Javi to Pedro Pascal. If Pedro Pascal looked at me the way that he looks at Nick Cage in this movie, I, I could die a happy person. Hey, when they were filming Last of Us in Edmonton, you could have had your chance to meet him. Yeah. Damn. Should have... Uh, Should have scouted it out, out, yeah. out a little bit more. Um, This movie lightened my heart. Good. Both the movie and um the experience in the theater, like... Like, those guys having such a good time. Like, it just made me happy how much fun they were having. Like, I was so yeah. happy for them. And then when they <laughs> when they said, like, so did you guys like it? I was just like, that's so sweet. Like, this movie was so sweet. And then, like, asking us that was so sweet. Like, it just seemed so genuine. They wanted to know if we liked the movie. Because they, I, I really do think they liked it a lot. Yeah. Like, I have a feeling they'll watch it again. I don't think I'll watch this movie again. It was like a one-time experience for me. Yeah, this might be like that movie where in a few years they're like, "Boy, did we like it so much!" They're like, or they're like, "Hey guys, do you want to get stoned and rewatch that <laughs> Nicolas Cage movie?" <laughs> they might, yeah. But like for for me, this is one of those movies that like I think if I watched it again, it would lose the magic that it had the first time. Yeah, for me, um, but it did lighten my heart, and I just found it to be a very sweet, sweet film and a very fun, funny movie theater experience. I agree. Um, very different from uh, the next movie for sure yeah which so, we saw the very next night in the exact same theater yeah um so yeah the last movie of the week was the north man um yeah came out this year 2022 uh directed by robert eggers who uh had has directed two movies that we really really like mm -hmm. which are the witch and the lighthouse so this you is mean this, the vavitch the um, it was written by him as well as um, Xiong, and it stars Alexander Skarsgård, Anya Taylor Joy, Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke, and our forever dad Willem Dafoe. Yeah, um, and Bjork. Yeah, Bjork's in there too. Um, synopsis for this one: an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, yeah, we love Robert Eggers. This one, like, we're probably going to go see everything that he does mm -hmm. um, just because we love what he does with his films. Um, but what do you think of The Northman? Very muscly movie. <laughs> yeah. Which is not my favorite thing. Very yelly. Very yelly movie. Opening shot. Gorgeous. And I was like, oh, yeah. this is Robert Eggers. Yeah. And then we got very muscly and very yelly and very medieval-y. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to say something annoying. There's these directors out there that are tricking me with their first movies, first feature films, into thinking they are horror directors. 
<laughs> when they don't intend to exclusively make horror movies. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, what are you doing to me? So The Witch, his first movie, is like decidedly a horror movie. Although it's like, it's it, it vibes with his whole catalog, right? And then like The Lighthouse is okay. So it's not a horror movie, but it's weird. Mm-hmm. And I do like weird. And then this is like pretty normal, but maintains his aesthetic. Like honestly, this movie was just like pretty normal. Well, maybe not. Actually, maybe a regular moviegoer wouldn't. Sorry, regular moviegoer. Like, what am I? <laughs> I'm a premium moviegoer. <laughs> yeah, we're premium moviegoers. But maybe the uh, how do I say this without sounding like an asshole? <laughs> I was gonna say the average moviegoer, but like, and maybe somebody who's not aware of Robert Eggers, if that's a less jerky thing to say, um, might disagree with me that this is a normal movie. But. Uh, but it's not a horror movie. It's not even a weirdo movie outside of a couple moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has me really worried that Ari Aster is going to do the same thing to me. Because, mm. like, Hereditary is decidedly a horror movie. Midsommar is, like, more of a weirdo movie. Mm-hmm. Weirdo movie with a spot of horror. What if his next movie is just, like, totally... It's the Viking. Or, sorry, this is not called the Viking. The Northman, but Ari Aster. So. Yeah, that's fair. There were kind of like a few harrowing moments in this that made me like wish I was watching The Witch. Instead. <laughs> I oh, same with me. I was just like, yeah, I feel like I'd rather throw on The Witch or or The Lighthouse and uh, just live in those worlds instead of this one. But I bet you that there's some people that this will be their favorite Robert Eggers movie. If like, mm. like I watched all of Game of Thrones but didn't really like it. Like it's just like just medieval stuff is not my jam. No, me neither. So this movie already like, I re- I like like Salem witch trialy like stuff, and like I like weirdos in one location being weird, saying like, "Why'd you spill your beans?" <laughs> we need to rewatch that movie. Oh my goodness, it's that so was good. so fun. Um, because we've seen The Witch a couple times, but we've only seen The Lighthouse once in the theater. Yeah. Um, and like we love Robert Pattinson these days, so we should watch it again. But. Yeah, like, The Witch and The Lighthouse are already more my vibe. Yeah. So this had that going against it. This was really long. Um, well, just like this this genre of movie is not our vibe. Alexander Skarsgård is not our vibe. <laughs> um, you have something against him? I just, like, I don't know. He, he's another one of those, those guys that just like has like bad dude vibe because he plays bad oh, yeah, dudes he plays and a lot everything. Of bad dudes. He didn't really. Well, I mean, like he's not a good dude, but he's like he's fine. not a bad dude in this. Yeah, he's fine. He's a violent dude. Yeah. But one thing I'm going to say about Robert Eggers is that he's a master of setting and tone. Totally. Like, I love it so much. Like each of his three movies have um, some very familiar sort of things that he likes to do and techniques he likes to do. Um, but he very firmly establishes like the setting of where each of these are taking place really, really well. And something that I kind of picked up on, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on it, it's just like he loves to depict unique connections and interactions between animals and humans in his totally. films. Totally, yeah, in all of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. I was really, I found that really compelling. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's I, just like, and he like, like he likes to go to bizarre places with that sometimes in his films. Um but sometimes it's like really beautiful and yeah, it's, I like it a lot. I like what he does. Yeah. Like this movie definitely like if you're somebody who isn't familiar with Robert Eggers and you're not super into like weirdo stuff, this problem, and you went and saw this as many of the people in our theater who I, I think they were, um, 
the moments that get a little more bizarre push the limits of that kind of a movie watcher. Well, we had two walkouts. Yeah, one that theater. was one three-person walkout and one two-person walkout. Yeah. Like the three-person walkout I think was about halfway through and the two-person walkout was like probably about a quarter of the movie left. Yeah, I was reading some reviews on Letterboxd too, like people in some people's theaters like also walked out, which is like, you know what, good for you. Like if you are like, hey, we're an hour or an hour and a half into and I don't this like two-hour movie and I don't like it, don't want to spend the rest of my time here, absolutely. Yeah. What we don't want you to do <laughs> Is if you reach a point where you're not enjoying the movie or it's just not your jam, that is not an invitation to just start talking full volume. Yeah, this isn't your living. This <laughs> in the isn't movie theater. your living room. And just because you're bored of the thing that's on doesn't mean it's time to now have your conversation. Like yeah. we had this with the Green Knight when we yeah. saw that. Like And we saw it twice and it happened both times. Yeah. Where it's people like, just like didn't know what they were signing up for, probably, or did but didn't like it. And then they just got like restless would be the word. Like I even found in this movie, like there was just more like feels like I'm in my classroom, like just like people going into their bags and rustling around and shifting their popcorn and just like like you could just you could just feel the restlessness that people are like, ah, oh, when is this going to end? I wonder if there would have been less of that, too, because we went to the later show. Like, I wonder if there yeah, would have been maybe. less of that at the earlier show just because people are tired. So they're kind of like, hey, I came out late to watch this movie. So I, I don't know what it is, but yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. We just generally are pretty sad if you're just going to talk through a movie. Like, don't wreck other people's experiences. You've, ar you've already spent the money. If you're not having fun, just leave. Yeah, everybody else spent a lot of money to be yeah. here, too. Like, for, like, I've definitely been in movies where I'm like, I'm not enjoying this, but, like, I'm kind of like, well, I'd like to see how it plays out so I can have, like, an informed opinion on whether I, like, disliked it or not by having seen the whole movie. I would walk out if, like, something egregiously against my, like, morals happened in it, perhaps. But, like, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie, thought about walking out of um, The Gift, but I didn't. Yeah. I walked out of 10,000 BC. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I've never seen that. Do you regret it? No. No, not one bit. Eh? We... Why did we walk? Did we walk out of a concert once? Maybe. There's something we walked out of once and I can't remember what it. Oh, you know what it was? I know what it was. Uh, we walked out of Dear Evan Hansen when the. Um, we went and saw it uh, at the Jubilee uh, production of Dear Evan Hansen and the audio was like not working properly. And they kept trying to get it to work and then starting and then it would stop again. And we, we were just like, I don't care if they get this going. We're just going to leave. Like we're done, um, and then it ended up, and they ended up canceling the show. So we beat the traffic. Yeah, good decision. Good decision. Yeah. So if your gut's telling you to leave, just, just, just leave. Don't ha Don't talk. Yeah. Um. The other thing I was gonna say, you've already hinted at it. The cinematography and the imagery is all at once is beautiful, haunting, magical, and brutal. Like, br yeah. Um, and like something uh, you know, I love this is that in this movie, there's a lot of one-er style shots. <laughs> There, the the one in the village with like all the violence. I was like, I like literally thought in my head, Elliot's loving this. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you I just, love a one take. I love it. I love the choreography of like the camera moving in and out of the sequences. And like, okay, sure, maybe it's not a true oneer, and there's like hidden cuts and stuff. I don't care. It just like it looks so cool, and you just feel like it puts you right in there. Uh, yeah, it's so cool. And just like the landscapes and the set, the setting. Yeah, it's a, so it great. is a beautiful movie mm -hmm. and really compelling. Like I, I really enjoyed the visual treat of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a feast. 
there are two things I really want to talk about. Okay. One I just like can't not talk about, and the other one's funny. Which one do you want to hear first? Mm, do the do the funny one second. Okay, so we have to talk about the Hamlet of it all yeah. because I'm a high school English teacher who is going to be. By the time this airs, I will be done teaching Hamlet for this year, my third time teaching Hamlet this year. Um, but as of today, I have one day left of teaching Hamlet, which is tomorrow. Mm. So I did a little bit of digging on this, which like probably should have known already as someone who teaches Hamlet. But Shakespeare, when he made Hamlet, was ripping off the story of Amleth that he because he Shakespeare just did like the Disney thing of like, let's take something somebody else did. But then I'm popular. So I'll it'll be my version of it. Right. But like wasn't his own story. Also, <laughs> Amleth, Hamlet. Good one, Billy. <laughs> just like changed a couple letters. Damn it, Billy. <laughs> um, however, most versions of Amleth, which is what this is. So this it's this weird like nesting doll situation of like mm. like chicken or the egg. Like if you've if you've seen or if you're very familiar with Hamlet, then this is gonna feel like a ripoff of Hamlet. Mm -hmm. If you're very familiar with the Lion King, this is gonna feel like the Lion King, but but like murder and humans um <laughs> or if you know the true story like this is now trying to go back to the original story but to me as an english teacher the interesting thing is that the most and there's many different versions of like the lore of amleth they're much more similar to hamlet than this movie is yeah so in hamlet um he, you know, a big part of the plot of Hamlet is that Hamlet feigns madness. He puts on his, quote, antic disposition um, to try and, like, discern, you know, the truth of, like, who killed his father and that kind of thing. In this one, there's no madness. Hmm. So I almost, like, my joke in my mind that might only be interesting to me is this is Amleth by way of Hamlet by way of the Lion King back to Amleth. Yeah, because it's more the Lion King, which was inspired by Hamlet, which was inspired by the original version of Amleth. But this is more like the like Simba doesn't pretend to be crazy. <laughs> yeah, but in the original version of Amleth, most of them he does like he not in the same way as like Shakespeare's Hamlet, where he's doing it to try and like have time to like, get close to the king and figure out what's going on without him realizing it. It sounds like in most of the versions of like the Amleth story, he feigns madness so that they won't kill him, which is not true. Anyway, it's very it's Hamlet, like it's very Hamlet. But of course, Hamlet was ripping this off, so it's back to the original. But it feels like it's ripping off. It feels like a story that we've heard a million times because we have. You're so like, English teacher, oh, right? Sorry, now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it, what's interesting to me is what a person feels it's similar to if they're like oh this is just the lion king or oh this is just hamlet or you know it's funny yeah. it's funny to me um so we've heard this story before many times okay mm -hmm. can i tell you the funny one now please <laughs> there's <laughs> there's two scenes in this movie i really wanted to lean over to you and say something that reminded me of the gatekeeper from <laughs> 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 do you know what? okay from one of my favorite games of all time nightmare um <laughs> okay, a little bit of background for those of you who don't know the wonder of the VHS board game Nightmare. Nightmare was this board game I used to play with my friends when I was a kid um, that I didn't own, but actually Elliot recently, they did a Kickstarter for it to bring it back and Elliot bought mm -hmm. it for me, but I don't have it yet because they're still making it. They're still making it. Um, do yourself a favor and Google Nightmare 
board game, The Gatekeeper, because <laughs> the game is like, it's this video, you put the VHS in and you're like just doing like this board game. But then whenever this like gate, and there's just a clock counting down on the TV and then the gatekeeper will show up and you have to, if it's your turn, you have to go, yes, my gatekeeper. Um, and then he'll talk to you. And what does he usually call you? Maggot. Maggot. Don't you ever get close to me again, you maggot. Um, do you get, do you know which scenes I'm talking about that were very gatekeeper-y? They were all of the like, the, like druggy vision sequences um yeah. and i just like i i kept like wanting to just turn to you and, and say never get close to me again you maggot in the gatekeeper's voice but i knew that wouldn't be an appropriate thing to do in the movie um <laughs> and so i was like really like cackling inside of my head so it's great i wanted to share that with you oh, i love it i love the gatekeeper i quote him quite often <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i've made you watch like too many videos of the gatekeeper man we're gonna watch uh, a lot more once that game once that game oh comes. i'm sure it's like no fun at all but i will play it yeah stoked. that and party mania ooh, uh, ooh. <laughs> also the fire scenes in this movie felt like um companions to the fire scene in the witch which was really cool yeah this felt like the ying to the yang of the witch's fire scenes which was yeah. like kind of cool i saw like like i said like there's very robert eggers like vibe oh yeah that he's established so like i saw strokes of yeah the witch of the lighthouse yeah. like he has things that he that he does again like yeah through the cinematography that just through the way he's framed a shot i it's it's scary like oh. but like also there's ways that he does it that it's like beautiful so yeah like i don't know he's, yeah he's it does great. have that like niggling i don't know how i'm supposed to feel vibe that both the witch and the lighthouse have um i do have you see you had a question which was like why didn't a24 do this movie mm -hmm. they could not afford to so this was a 90 million dollar budget that checks out um yeah i get that so but i my understanding and please if you know more than us and i'm wrong here message me yell at me um bad dad die rad dad on instagram follow <laughs> us <laughs> uh my understanding is that there maybe was a little bit more studio involvement in this film than Eggers has had in his other films. And I feel like you can feel that a bit. Yeah, I get it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah, we've done a bit of a deep dive on this guy, but how did it make you feel? Very engrossed. Kind of grossed out by, all, like, the men and muscles and stuff because I was just like, not my thing. Put a um, shirt on. Really thankful we aren't Vikings or living in Viking times. Yeah, it seemed real um, rough. Yeah, so I think like how I felt engrossed, but gross. Yep. You? Yeah, like I said, it, like it's one of the best in the genre, but I won't. I probably won't watch this again. No. I, I would. I would much sooner return to The Witch or Lighthouse, like I said. And like it also just made me think, like men who revere their fathers. I'm kind of stealing this from John Mulaney a little bit, but like men who revere their fathers too much have some stuff to unpack in therapy. Oh, I saw a like funny Letterboxd review that was like, guys will really do this, 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 this. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Before going to therapy, yeah. I thought it was really funny. Um, but yeah, the, but like the the last thing is just like this. A movie reminded me of a game that I never thought that I played, but I ended up loving, which was God of War from 2018. <laughs> um, and it just there's a sequel, God of War Ragnarok, that's coming out this year, and I'm super excited for it. So it just reminded me how excited I am to play that game. I get again though, like I could definitely see like somebody who liked Robert Eggers movies, but like isn't really into like um like 1600s witch stuff, like but is into medieval stuff. Like this would be their favorite. So I think you know. You've got yeah. a little bit to play with, which like, what is the, 
the he seems to like to play with like setting and accents and this seemed to be another example of my like people speaking English in accents rather than just speaking the language but I don't know I didn't look enough into it um but this is for me definitely my least favorite of his three movies I agree but But it was really good it was well made you should go see it if you like his movies absolutely anyway it's a time it is that time okay I struggled this week well who did you net out with as your bad dad nominee. Okay. So I struggled this week particularly with bad dad because there's people I wanted to nominate that would spoil the movies. So Fair. I don't do that. <laughs> like I'm some saint. Um so who I ended up picking was uh Nicholas Savedra's character of Bruno from A Fantastic Woman. That was the um, the son of Rolando. Right. Yep. Yeah. He was on shortlist for me. So my argument there was that he's just he's just a petty, unempathetic, violent, transmisogynic, transmisogynistic asshole who refuses to communicate, instead uses boundary crossings to intimidate and get what he wants and is just a general garbage human being. And I would be wary of how he would raise children. Yeah, all of that is extremely fair. I went a little bit more literal with my pick. I picked King Arvondel War Raven, played by Ethan Hawke from The Northman. You think he's a bad dad? So I think he's on some toxic masculinity bullshit um, in this movie. And I think that he imparts beliefs and values Mm. into me that would really F me up for my, like, (laughs) the rest of my life. Man, yeah, they messed Amleth up, but he also, like, thinks they're good. Yeah. I guess that's the bat. But he also nurtures like a very toxic family dynamic, I think. Yeah. Um, So like I said, very literal because he is a dad, but like he's a very bad example of a dad. I so, yeah, I think what stopped me from because I actually considered putting the uncle uh, from near the brotherless. Um, I thought he was a better dad. And that's why I stopped because I was like, he actually really loves his kids. Yeah. I don't know that he's a great person, but I think he's like an okay dad for Viking times. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was like, I think what stopped me from picking, what the heck is Ethan Hawke's character's name? Like Ethan Hawke, by the way, King Arvindil, um, was just that Amleth thinks he's a good dad. But I think you're right. The very fact that Amleth thinks he's a good dad shows that he's a bad dad yeah. because he is a bad dad. Yeah. I'm going to talk in circles if I keep saying this. Yeah, I did not feel confident in mine, although I think Bruno's a terrible person. We should just not talk about Bruno. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And uh, say that Ethan Hawke's character is the bad dad of the week. Yeah, so King Arvindel, War Raven, <laughs> played by Ethan Hawke. Stick it. Get out of here. Um. Okay, can I tell you my rad dad nom? Mm-hmm. It's Javi, played by Pedro Pascal in Unbearable <laughs> Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> um, my reasons for this is just like Javi seems like he listens and he encourages and feeds into my excitement and my passions that I have. Um, he knows how to have fun, but he is not afraid to call me on my bullshit. Um, and he also looks at me with love and contentment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I actually feel like I have a a good counterpoint here mm. i felt good about this one so we actually didn't talk a lot about this actor in the movie even though i really liked him um so i picked for my rad dad asavat kusta chin's character of tom from run woman run mm, okay okay 
my reasons for this was he's incredibly supportive, pushes you, but also will leave you to figure things out on your own because he knows that you need to. Yeah. And is ultimately like a guider and a support through difficult times. Um, but has that nice sense of like joking and lightness to the way that he pushes. Yeah. Um, I actually loved the the this character, Tom. We really didn't talk much about this in, in when we talked about the film. Um also Asafat Kustachin, total babe. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and like I could have used more of this character because I really, I really liked the character. Um also Anya Taylor Joy. Little bit. Um <laughs> just had to like insert that into this moment. Uh yeah, so I I really thought that his character like exuded like what I would want from a from a dad. Yeah, I think that as much as I love Javi and as much as I love Pedro Pascal. Javi makes some bad choices. Might I mention drugs and driving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might be like too much like fun uncle yeah, as opposed yeah. to rad dad. I completely agree. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. Okay, yeah. so Asifat Kustachin, character of Tom. Be dear our dad. dad. Okay, we we have been talking for longer than we thought we would. We had lots to say. Um, and we had a conversation we were going to have, but we're going to save it for another time. Um, because it's gonna be a long conversation, yeah. but a good one. We'll push one. it to next week because it we were both really excited about what we were gonna talk about for the rad wreck of the week. So yeah, we'll do it next week. Yeah, when we have a little bit more time, although watch us talk too much next week too. <laughs> um so my rad wreck of the week is gonna bring us back to the start of the episode. Hang out with your friends' parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we uh fully plan to to go for walks and help each other move and uh with uh my friend Garrett's parents. Um, so if you can, uh, you know, being parented by someone who isn't your parent is like a really lovely experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So hang out with your friend's parents, Rad Wreck of the Week. Love it. Yeah. I second that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Perfect. So, uh, thank you all very much for listening and continuing to listen to us. If you've been listening to previous episodes as well, we're still loving doing this with each other and sharing this with all of you. So thank you so much. Uh, you can follow us and slide into our DMS or shoot any conversation pieces at us uh, over on our Instagram at baddad.raddad. You can also get a sneak peek of what we've been watching over on our, on our individual letterboxed accounts and our usernames are Elliot Cuss and Kylie Burton. You also can drop us a rating review or a follow over on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you're listening from and we would absolutely love it if you could share this podcast with people in your life who love movies love podcasts or love both but that is going to do it for this week of bad dad rad dad so until next time i'm kylie and my dad's dead i'm elliot and my dad's a deadbeat but remember not all dads have to be bad When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.